Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. They are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey guys, in the conversation that you're going to hear that Daniel and I had, we were using Skype. And so sometimes with Skype, you get the a little bit of the robot voice. Sometimes the calls were dropped. So we had a little bit of that. I'd say maybe about 97% of the interview was fine and the levels were fine. Uh, but there are a few times in here where it sounds a little disjointed. And that's why we did have a little, uh, a few little bit of technical difficulties, but I think the conversation went real well, and I think you guys will be able to follow it just fine. But just wanted to give you a heads up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have a very special guest with us today, and that is Daniel Shaw. Many of you guys know Daniel from uh, Gunfighter Cast, his podcast that he does. You also may be aware that he is a uh, trainer over at Thunderbird Tactical. And Daniel, if I get anything wrong, go ahead and jump in and correct me. Um, before You're right so far. All right. Before we go too much further, what I'll do is I'll go ahead and just read Daniel's bio from the Thunderbird Tactical site because it does a pretty good and concise uh, thing of Daniel's background. So... Starting off, it says, Daniel Shaw is a retired U.S. Marine infantryman with multiple combat tours and instructor titles. He has developed curriculum and training standards for pre-deployment training and Marine security forces, such as the Fleet Anti-Terrorism Security Team, which is FAST, and the Naval Nuclear Security Program. His direct action experience includes Level 4, VBSS, and in extremist hostage rescue, excuse me, rescue, Daniel has been a DOD slash USMC firearms instructor for over 15 years and has over 18 years of concealed carry experience. He holds numerous instructor certifications from the U.S. Marine Corps to include foreign weapons and master instructor of handgun, rifle carbine, shotgun, and medium to heavy machine guns. Daniel takes his life of training and combat experience and develops curriculum to help responsible armed citizens prepare for a deadly force encounter. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Uh, is there anything else there you'd want to add? Nah, that pretty much covers it. You know, it's my little concise bio that you know, says a lot, and uh, I like it. What is, I did have a question, what is, what does VBSS stand for? 
It's visit, board, search, and seizure. It's uh, basically taking down naval vessels. Oh, okay. And there's different levels of that. There's some VBSS that's done completely permissive, like, sure, come aboard, check out everything. That's no big deal. Level four is the completely hostile resistance from getting on the uh, uh, board of the ship and throughout the entire ship. Just you got, you're taking down a hostile vessel or hostile-controlled vessel. Oh, okay. So it's all the training on how you enter safely and... and get to your targets and do all that stuff and accomplish what you need to do. Yeah, land on the flight deck, secure whatever, the whole area out there, the uh, weather deck, wherever you can land and take care of the bad guys, get team to radio room and bridge and get teams to aft steering in the engine room and control the vessel and mm-hmm. count the good guys and collect or uh, hurt the bad guys. Okay, cool. Hey, um, let's start off with some of the Thunderbird tactical stuff and then we'll kind of we'll kind of bounce around here and there. Um, how long have you been with Thunderbird Tactical now? I've been there just a little bit over a year, about uh, 14, 15 months now. Okay, and then it looks like from the website, from what I can tell, you are the the lead instructor. Now, are you the only one that's there? Do you have guys that work under under you? Yeah, I, I'm the, my title is Chief Instructor, um, and uh, I have a, kind of a, a right-hand man. It was actually a, a Marine that I was in the Marine Corps with. He retired uh, last this year, and uh, he came out and joined me. And the uh, I've got a concealed, ser- uh, concealed carry instructor, and then occasionally we have a couple guys that come in and help out for whatever we're doing. Um, if we don't have the uh, personnel to control it or safety or whatever, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I do most of the uh, developing of the curriculum. I'm also the range manager, and uh, we're in the middle of building a 6.5 million dollar training facility, shooting range. It's just state of the art, totally awesome. Um, and I'm writing policy, uh, basically how to flip on a white light switch. You know, um, there's a lot of little classes that we're going to be doing in there. Some NSSF stuff, some NRA stuff, uh, a lot of my stuff that I developed, a lot of Thunderbird specific stuff that I put together for Thunderbird that we're going to do in there. And it's going to take a lot more instructors to do those things. And we've actually established a uh, uh, an instructor course where you cannot be an instructor here unless you have qualified and passed this course and it's all you know developed in-house and everything so we're all teaching the same way uh with the same uh the same basic principles and everything else for you know the message delivery and everything else and really controlled really clean and it's going to be uh it's going to be awesome and then is there any timeline as far as when uh, when that new range and stuff is going to be built yeah right now um we should be finished up and opening the doors early may Oh, possibly wow. late April. Okay. All right, cool. And then you guys, um, I don't think I mentioned it before, but you are located in Wichita, Kansas. Right in the middle of the country. We're easy to get to from everywhere. Do you, um, I guess like maybe contractually, do they allow you to go and like travel and set up and, and do like guest instructor stuff or is that part of... Yeah, well, we bring people in to place for to here to train. Uh, some friends of mine around the industry, we bring some people in. Um, but I also, I train at a, at a few different places every year. I've got just some. Um, we started a yearly thing with Jason Christensen from Concealment Solutions. I'll be back out there this year. Uh, a friend of mine that you've probably heard him podcast is a podcast called Safety Solutions Academy. Really good. Um, Paul Carlson. Yeah, I'll yeah. be out. I go out with Paul every year. Uh, and Paul's come here every year. It's just something we, we've got going together. We've just, uh, I think he's a great instructor and he has a great podcast and I love working with him. Everything he does, he gives just a hundred percent. And so I'll be out there in, in Ohio in June, um, uh, primary weapon systems. Uh, we've started going out there every year. Last year we started it. We'll do our second one this year. We'll be out there the first two days of May. 
um, teaching um, Carbine Vitals 1 and 2, hosted by Primary Weapon Systems in uh, Parma, Idaho. And uh, yeah, I'm getting around a little bit. And then uh, I got invited to teach at the Teach Carbine 1 and 2 to some law enforcement officers at the Ohio Tactical Officers Association. Uh, that'll also be in June in Ohio and some, near the Cleveland area, if I'm not mistaken. And that's. Uh, that's pretty much all I've got on the schedule right now. I'm talking with a couple of people from a few different places, but you know, we're still getting around. And uh, the best way to find out if someone is wanting to know if you know we're coming to the area or I'm bringing those classes out there is thunderbirdguns.com and then hit on click on the calendar there, and uh, you can see where that class is going to be. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then I think um, Jason is out in Utah, right? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the last time I was out that way – I think it was, I think I did 2012, I did the um, the 40, the Masada Yub, uh mm-hmm. group, um, the MAG-40 class out there, which, man, that was an eye-opener. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, they're, him and Gal are coming here in June for uh, a MAG-40 here in Wichita. Oh, nice. Kind of a, sticking with the training stuff, You were when you were in the military, you... You started out, and then you you were in the infantry. Now, what was your? Were you a sergeant, or were you? Was that your rank, or? Uh, for a number of years, I was a sergeant, but yeah. uh, I I was a I retired as a staff sergeant. Oh, okay. Um, so I I was uh, actually got the MOS 0369, which is infantry unit leader. Okay, and then you, I know that you had talked about before that you had. Uh, you had actually led guys into combat and stuff, and, and uh, some of the experiences that you talked about on your on your show, I found really interesting uh, about some of the mindset that you had, um, like that first time that you were ha- going to have to get out of that vehicle and go. You knew you were going outside where people were going to be looking to kill you, and sort of your experiences with that. But the the training that you do and how you've developed training, having had that experience, what are some of the differences that you would be be teaching a guy who's going to be that young Marine who's going to go out there. And then for somebody, let's say like me, who hopefully never has to, uh, you know, face somebody that's looking to, to, you know, to put holes in me. Well, this kind of goes to the, the question I'm asking all the time. You know, do you think a firearms instructor um, needs to have combat experience or have used their weapon in deadly force? And, you know, I, the answer to that is no, you can, not at all. There's plenty of good firearms instructors out there who have never, and we're not just talking about firearms, like how to use a gun. That's the easy part. Training the mind is the complicated part. Yeah. So the uh, And there's a lot of folks who do both of those really well who have never been in any kind of gunfight. But what I think some people who have been in those types of situations can bring to the table, and if they're able to convey the feelings, the internal feelings, like the thought processes, and they were able to um, recall some of those things and, and then get the the power of those items uh, across to their students, you can really enhance the preparedness level of those students. And you know, I find in classes when I'm telling some of the stories or I'm, I'm saying, here's what we're going to do, here's why I chose this technique, and here's how we're going to do it, and this is the reason why we're going to do it, and this is the context that it would be used in. Uh, I'm able to also put it in there, you know, some of the of those psychological effects and some of those things happening and really hit, send those home. I, I find it in the class of students at, at debriefs tell me, you know, that story you gave, it was just really powerful. I never thought about that aspect of of what may be going through my mind when this is happening. And I've never even considered that that may be present. And, you know, now that I know that that's possible, 
I could go back to that and recall that and recognize what it is and overcome that, you know, and, and be able to do what I need to do. And I, th- I think that's what, uh, what, and I'm not the only one. We have thousands of us who have been in combat and yeah. are coming back and doing stuff. So, um, you know, it's just if you have that experience and you're able to convey that and get it across to the students, um, it's it's great. It's a it's a good addition to the class. It's not, it doesn't have to be present, but I think it helps out the class a lot and uh, in a lot of different ways. Okay, yeah, because I guess you can, you know, you can sort of the fundamentals of of certain things are going to be. Uh, kind of the the same kind of across the board. So you're going to have basic stuff, but then like you were talking about the 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 more important part of of getting that correct mindset and kind of knowing in your head these are certain possibilities and knowing this is what my body's actually going to do. This is what my, uh, for lack of a maybe a better term, my in- my instincts are telling me either to freeze or to or to uh, to run. And you know how do I how do I uh, kind of deal with some of that stuff. Yeah, like for example, uh, the internet's full of people, and the world's full of people who are just like, "Oh, if I see somebody doing something bad, I'm just going to draw my gun and I'm going to kill them right there. I'm going to shoot them." And like they're just super awesome, and they they carry a 45 because they don't make a 46. Yeah, you know? it's like they just got all these. Um, their vision of themselves is just a you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a superhero. I'm just waiting for my chance to prove it, kind of thing, and uh, or an action hero in their own action movie or whatever. The um, the reality is when there's that instant that I could die right now. I could die if I do this. By staying out here in the open and not running out there as fast as I can, I'm putting myself at more risk to lose my life. And we are wired all the way to the core, down to DNA, to stay alive, to yeah. not die. We're not wired to save everybody else. We are wired to the core. Self-preservation is paramount. There's and I, I tell people if you're if there's an instance where and I, I've never had this happen with my wife and children around, but I totally accept that if I'm walking through the mall with my wife and child this afternoon, and there's someone starting to shoot up the place, the very first thought that comes into my mind, get over there, get behind that, save yourself. Yeah. Is we the first thing that jumps into my mind, but I need to be able to suppress that, recognize that, no, I've got to save my four-year-old son that you hear in the background. I've got to get my wife to safety, and I can think about myself, you know, in the process, but. There's going to be a piece there where you're going to have to overcome that and, and recognize that, okay, that's totally normal. That's human nature. Nothing wrong with that. You don't need to feel bad about it later. That's how it should be. Uh, you can't even train past that. Uh, it's, it's, it's DNA. It's, it's the way we're made. Uh, self-preservation is just key. And uh, recognize that that exists, but we can surpass or go past that and do what we need to do to keep our wife and child alive we don't have to go run for that door and hide like a little coward we can fight and uh in the process possibly save lives and you know save the lives of people we care about the most yeah and it's kind of that thing too of if if you were in that situation and you sort of for a lot you know kind of came to and you found yourself over behind that cover and maybe you have kind of left them because your instincts kicked in how to say okay i'm here but now i need to get over there and 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 have that stuff in your head to say, well, this may happen to me or it may not. Um, but if it does, I need to be, be prepared for it and kind of staying on that same, that same vein. I was thinking about the other day, my wife is kind of grew up with a, uh, in a, in a household where guns were sort of seen as bad and, and, you know, they were the problem and, and this, that, and the other thing. So, uh, and she had a real, kind of fear of them. And so it's taken a a long time 
for her to kind of get over some of that stuff. And so what we did was uh, I had her go and take some uh, private lessons from female instructors. And basically she was just using, you know, a, a 22 um, and she's done that like two or three times. And so now she's, she's much more, more comfortable. And so now what we're talking about is introducing the idea of, well, it may not be me that is going to save the day. You know, I may be, I may have taken a, you know, a round in the chest and I may be laying sprawled out on the floor and can you run the gun that, that I'm wearing? You know, can she, does she know how to reach over and do that? So we're working up, uh, I usually carry probably 95% of the time a Glock 17. And so I've also got the, uh, oh, what is it? The um, Advantage Arms uh, 22 conversion kit. Mm-hmm. And I've had her shoot that a bunch. So kind of having said all that with like with your wife, what kind of plans uh, do you guys have? Or maybe even not even specifically you, but what kind of things do you think you as a family unit should be, uh, should be doing as far as, you know, being prepared or if something bad, like you said, like you guys are in the mall, something bad goes down. What kind of things do you think should be, uh, put in place so that you can react well? That's a good question. The, I, I, I do some of these and talk about some of these things in my classes. The handgun one class has, has this in it. We, we discuss that in the handgun two, we go a little bit further with it, but if my, my wife and my child, he doesn't really know, and he doesn't really pay attention. He's too busy caring about what toy store we just walked by. Yeah. But you know, my um, my wife, you know, she we were of an understanding. If something were to happen, um, I'm gonna say one of two things. I'm gonna say stay, or stay with me, and we're gonna try to move to safety together, or I'm gonna say go, and go. She knows that means that I'm about to start sending bullets in a certain direction, and that means bullets are probably gonna start coming in my direction, and she needs to get away from me and get gunner to safety and those two things right there I mean depending on the situation can, can solve a lot of problems and make things very very um, a lot quicker to have things happen you know I mean she's gonna want to get me out of there she's not gonna want to meet me being harmed but the mother instinct she's got to protect that little guy yeah. so if I say stay get out of here there's an exit go 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 um, she knows that I'm about to start shooting and that uh, you know bullets are probably coming at me and she needs to get away those those two little words is very simple uh, speaking of Paul Carlson earlier, he he talks about uh, he's, he's had to talk about this podcast before too, and in, in person that uh, he goes out with his girls uh, when they're out somewhere, and, and they might be out at, at Home Depot or something or anywhere, and uh, he'll tell them, you know, something bad's happened, you know, go get away, and they'll all go run and hide somewhere, and then he'll have to yell to bring them back in, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like they just go find a spot to go hide because they can't get away or get out the door, but they'll go hide behind something or get inside of something, you know, and protect themselves um it sounds kind of crazy if you're not of this mentality and of the uh, uh mindset that a lot of us are and a lot of your listeners probably are but i, I think it's the same thing as like stop drop and roll you yeah know, all, yeah it, 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 as much as i had to stop drop and roll as a kid i thought i was going to catch on fire a lot in life but i, I never had <laughs> happened but it's kind of the same thing the same concept you know these are just other things are they likely to occur no not really is it very very important if the this type of level of violence occurs it'd be great to have some kind of a little bit of a plan and a little bit of practice in place to increase your chances of survival if in the off chance this horrible thing did take place I think it's totally valid to work on these things and think about them and practice and game them in your head and train your family yeah we've you know when I first started talking about certain things 
with my wife about like, oh, well, let's sit that, you know, let's sit this way or let's, you know, when we go into, uh, you know, a Macayos or something like that, I always say, okay, well, right there's the closest exit. There's the entrance to the kitchen. Um, if we can't get back this way, we can go, you know, this way and that way. And it takes like, you know, five seconds to do. Um, but she's so used to it now that she doesn't really even question it. It's just kind of part of, uh, of, of where we are or if we're, we recently, you know, went on vacation and we were out in California and I talked about this on my last show, but we were out in California and Vegas. And so the, the laws there don't necess- don't allow me to carry. So when we were driving to certain places or if we're in certain neighborhoods, you know, I have, uh, we were walking one, one day down to a fat burger or something and, you know, kind of like with, with your kids and stuff, you know, they don't really pay attention to much. They're just kind of, you know, off and goofing around and running around. But, you know, when certain people would approach or you could tell, Hey, you know, that dude's homeless and that person, you know, looks a little shady. So, you know, you stand over here or stand closer on, you know, by mom or something like that. So, uh, just a lot of the little kind of awareness things, um, that most people a lot of times don't really think about or, or they do, but when they get in on vacation, even if they're kind of in the, in the gun community, they kind of sort of let that stuff slide because they're looking at new stuff or they're in a, you know, then a new area. And so some of that mindset goes down, but I was, I was keenly aware, especially when we were walking around that I didn't have one of the options that I'm used to having. Uh, and so it was a little disconcerting. Absolutely. Changes things a lot. Yeah. As far as, you know, a lot of times, and I've seen like in some of your videos and I talked about, I, I, uh, I talked about you on my last show that I just put out. And one of the things I talked about was that in, and this is, this is where I'm going to blow some sunshine right up your direction. So, but one of the things I talked about was that the videos that I've watched and when I've listened to you and, and, and how you do certain things for whatever reason, it clicks with me. Uh, and, and one of the first experiences I had was I watched a video. It was one of your first videos on YouTube where you were showing how to access your, your, uh, your sidearm, uh, by pulling up the shirt and doing stuff and the way that you did it. And I'd seen other people do it before, but the way that you had done it, I was like, Oh, okay, well that makes sense. Um, because you had a real kind of like fluidity of motion, but it was also a thing like everything had been kind of like boiled down. It was just sort of the, the simplest and the basic thing. So there wasn't a lot of fancy moving around. And I, I see a lot of people out there that kind of, they see it a lot of times they want to add extra stuff when it may not necessarily be needed. And I watched, Oh, another thing I watched your, um, I think it was a thing you had on Instagram where you were going over somebody's, somebody's rifle. Was it LWRC? Oh yeah, the recent one with the LWRC. Yeah, the beginning stages of a double feed. And I saw, yeah, I saw you do something that I've never seen, and I don't know if other people do it, but I've never seen anybody do it. And that is when you were you had uh, taken the magazine out, you were clearing the double feed, and then your your left hand came up, and your middle finger went up into the magazine well and was sweeping it out. Now it's a quick video, but I, you know, but I've never seen anybody do anything. And when you did that, I thought, well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, that, that double feed and there's 
people change clear double feeds a lot of different ways. Um, that particular gun was set up to do it really, really well, and the best way that thing was working was going automatically three fingers in. I do teach that you don't have to put your fingers in the magazine well if you don't see rounds stuck in there, but the way that gun's set up, it's set up to be very, very fast and keep the gun in your shoulder clear and double feed, so I added that step in and it made sense for that gun in the context of using that individual carbine low receiver that's on there, being able to lock the bolt to the rear and everything the way it was. Um, Everybody who's had double feeds out there quite a few times in their ARs have probably had some where they pull their magazine out and there's two rounds still stuck in there. Yeah. That's how you get those two rounds out. Yep. And I have a little ditty there. Uh, lock, rip, uh, three in, three out. Those are fingers. Rack, 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 reload. And that's it. And uh, that's clear to double feed. You can get it done pretty quick too. Okay. Yeah, like I said, but I, I kind of wanted to, like I said, I'd never seen that before. And I thought, you know, that's something that I wouldn't have ever probably thought to do. Uh, and I thought, well, that it just, it's a logical, uh, step and it doesn't, you know, it didn't take any time, really extra time or anything like that. So say so kudos to you on that. Well, thank you. You know, I, I try my videos. I, I don't put out near as much videos. I'd like to, I love doing videos. And, and, uh, fortunately I just, uh, got a little partnership with Funker Tactical. I know a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with Instructor Zero. Yeah. Um, and stuff, but, uh, I am. I am now working with uh, Funker Tactical, and you'll see a lot of stuff fr from Funker uh, with me, or featuring me, here in the next six months to a year. Uh, first one's out already, but there'll be a lot more coming. Yeah, I think you were d reviewing the little, um, the Scorpion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I guess that's considered a pistol. It is a pistol, and in its form that I had it in the video that they sent me, uh, it just, it, it doesn't solve any problems for me. Yeah. But with a SIG brace on it, or if I can just get the stock from uh, CZ, I could do a Form 1, and within, like, we're seeing Form 1s come back in 30 days, and it could be a registered SBR, and then that gun starts to shine. Okay, and then for maybe some, most people will know, but SBR is a short-barreled rifle, and then Form mm -hmm. 1 basically refers to the paperwork that you have to send into the ATF, uh, and then they'll, uh, which basically says, okay, this thing is legal. Now, I do have a question about the um, like the short barrel rifles and a little bit more on the paperwork side because I assume you have some familiarity with that stuff. Yeah, I don't have it all 100% figured out, but uh, I can usually answer basic to intermediate questions. So when, when you send that form in, I mean, uh, part of it sounds like it's going to be pretty simple. You send it in, you say, this is what I want, this is what I want to own, and, they, and then you pay, uh, what is it, the $200 for the, the tax stamp, I guess it is. And then once you get that, that's where I'm kind of confused about, do you always have to have some form of that paperwork kind of with you or on you? Like if you're driving a car, you're always supposed to have your driver's license with you. So if you've got that thing out of the range, are you supposed to have a copy of some of that stuff? Hello, hello, hello. My internet's acting a little funny. Can you hear me? <laughs> you, sound, you sound like you're drunk as hell because you're all slow. You no, no, really? <laughs> I'm having technical difficulties over here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you Tony. now. Tony. Tony. All right, there you are. There we yeah, are. I'm cutting in and out, man. I, I'm usually rocking some LTE right here, but for some reason I'm down to 4G and it's coming in kind of nasty. Hope it doesn't keep doing that. Okay. Um, you, the last thing I heard you say was that uh, you, you get your paperwork back. But you have to keep it with you. Yeah. So my understanding is the answer to that question is no. You don't have to keep it with you. It needs to be available. 
if someone were to ask for it and need it, uh, like back in your safe somewhere or something like that. But what I recommend people to do is carry a copy of that, not the original. Keep that original in a safe place. Carry a copy of that with you. Uh, some folks carry pictures of them, uh, but have it with you that you have that proof there. And actually, a local law enforcement officer is not even allowed to ask you for it. I mean, you could present it to them if they wanted to, but they have to get an ATF agent or a federal agent to ask you for that paperwork. That's my understanding. Oh, okay. Is um, there is there anything where, um, and I heard something like, oh, if, if you put in for the short barrel rifle or if you, if you have some of this stuff, like if you have some of the Class 3 stuff, which would be um, full auto weapons or uh, select fire weapons, that they that there is a thing where they could actually come and inspect, or is is that true, or is that kind of a like an inter- internet kind of bullshit rumor type thing? You know, from I think it's in the wording of uh, of what you're doing in your form and everything else, you're allowing that to happen. But uh, to the best of my knowledge, it's never no one's they never came and inspect anyone. Yeah. Um, but also, they're going to come inspect inspect you and like a million other people. I can't remember the exact stats. If I knew we were talking about this, I'd have looked it up. But uh, uh, Ryan, the owner of Thunderbird, would know it off the top of his head, but the amount of people every month who are applying for, you'd be either sending in Form 1s or Form 4s to, for uh, SBR suppressors and whatever else, uh, it is incredibly high. Yeah. Uh, a lot higher than a lot of people think. Um, uh, in the month of December, we sold like 35 suppressors alone. That doesn't count short barrel rifles or anything else. Uh, and that's, that's it's like one suppressor a day. Yeah, yeah. Even more than one suppressor a day that we sold, and we're seeing things like this all over the nation. And there's a, there's just a, a lot out there. So they're going to have a lot of people to come inspect. The ATF can't even manage to go, uh, to go audit most gun stores because uh, there's just so few agents and so many, uh, so many gun stores and so many people with these guns and everything. So it's uh, I, at first, whenever a year. Years ago, before I actually got into a gun store selling these things and learning about it, there was a lot of it that I was like, you know, I don't want to sign off on that kind of stuff, or, or I don't want to have my name on a list. And I, I recognize that my name's already on a list now, yeah. and I have no doubt about it. I'm actually proud of that. And I call my NSA agent that listens to me. I refer to him as Tom. Uh, <laughs> that way, I, I have to like I have some level of intimacy with the guy who listens to me off. You're kind of breaking up there a little bit. I don't know if we're still connected. All right, I moved my phone. Maybe I have better reception. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I think you know, Tom there is having is sabotaging us a little bit. That's probably what it is. Right? He does that. He does that. But no, I don't even worry about it. You know, I mean, uh, right now I've got a uh, a short barrel rifle. I've got a, a suppressor. Um, uh, that little LWRC gun I was looking at. I'm I'm wanting to get one of those, and that'll be another SBR for me. And um, I, if they CZ has that stock for that little scorpion, I will probably pick up that really more for the wife than anything else. Yeah. A little nine millimeter carbine, uh, it's an awesome little gun for that. So what do you what do you think about uh, something either like a short barrel rifle or one of the um, oh the the, the AR fifteen pistols with like something like a Sig brace? for home defense uh, as opposed to maybe going um, something like with a, uh, like a handgun type thing. Um, do you see any, any um, disadvantage, I guess is maybe what I'm trying to get at, with the really, shorter stuff? Well, if you're defending your farm, 
you know, and, and your longer rifle could serve a lot of purposes for you. It could take care of those coyotes or coyotes, depending on where you're from. Uh, it could take care of, you know, some wild game out there that could cause problems for your your, your crops or your, your livestock or whatever you have. And, you know, your short barrel rifle would be a disadvantage because you might not be able to get those shots, some of those yeah. longer shots out there out of those things, depending on the length of your SBR or your, uh, your pistol with a SIG brace or whatever kind of brace you want to use. Those things are... Um, and some disadvantage, but if you're talking about just home defense, um, I don't see a disadvantage at all. If I were to know advance or have advance notice that I was going to get into a gunfight, um, I'm sending out rifle caliber rounds, not yeah. handgun rounds. Handgun rounds only come out when rifle caliber rounds can no longer come out. You know, that's just uh, the the devastation, the the velocity, the tremendous amount of energy. There is a huge advantage to rifle caliber rounds over handgun rounds. So, I mean, if, if we're talking about defensive shooting, um, I want to shoot bad guy with 5.56, five, yeah. uh, 308, you know. Now, have you have you heard anything as far, because I wouldn't think you would lose that much velocity going with a shorter barrel, especially out of like that 5.56 five, round, because it's moving so fast anyway um, that you're still going to get a lot of that energy dumped into the target. Yeah, you're still going to have really high velocities. Um, I had to put, you know, some seven and a half inch with different ammo to really chrono it and see exactly what kind of velocities we're getting. But you know, you're you're lacking some accuracy there. You know, you don't have that full barrel, you don't have that full projectile stabilization yeah. and and everything else. So you're losing accuracy. Uh, but um, if we're talking about inside a house, say 50 meters and in, 50 yards and in, or something like that, um, this is going to be dead on you yeah. know, wherever you're aiming. Now, kind of getting back to the the suppressor thing, I've always thought that that's a good idea. And in fact, my wife and I have talked about maybe getting a suppressor for for the Glock that I've got, and then that way, if there ever was a situation in the house, or I'm I'm actually in the process of building a rifle, but it's it's a it's a 16 inch barrel. It's not a short barrel. And depending on how well I like it, I may end up going with one of the pistols or. I may end up going just doing the paperwork and getting a short barrel rifle. And then that way, if there's ever any future thing where they say it's no longer valid anymore, that you can't shoulder it type thing, blah, blah, blah. How they would ever know, I don't know. Um, but for whatever reason, if they said, well, the SIG brace isn't uh, valid anymore, I think I may kind of go that route. Uh, but I like the idea of having a suppressor for in the home um, because you're not... Otherwise, you're going to get that ringing in the ears and everything because most people aren't going to have the wherewithal to, you know, pop on some ear pro uh, if they think someone's, you know, kicked in the front door or smashed out the, the sliding glass door in the back of your house. And guns are loud in enclosed spaces. Uh, there's also going to reduce some some muzzle flash for you, too. It's going to do a number of things that can help you out inside the house. The problem with having a suppressor on a handgun is holstering and storage. It just it there's just not a good holster solution to carry around a gun with a suppressor on it, and especially conceal a gun with a suppressor on it. Yeah. Uh, inside the house, if you have it in a safe or in a quick access gun safe or in a location, you know you don't have children around and you can leave your gun kind of laying out somewhere easily accessible, just in a drawer. Yeah, it's fine. It makes no no sense. I mean, it makes sense totally. Um, but, but there's some challenges there. Uh, uh, the suppressor, I mean, there's solutions that the suppressor gives to, to handguns and home defense, the things that you stated, you know, the, the sound and everything else. Uh, but also, with, with the rifle, there's a lot more advantages to the rifle there. Mm. Um, I mean, you could get you a little 10-inch uh, barrel upper with a SIG brace on it uh, or a 7.5 or 8.5-inch barrel 
or something like that. Uh, throw a suppressor on that thing, and uh, uh, and you know it's still it's hearing safe, but inside an enclosure at that barrel length at ten, you're still starting to get pretty close to not hearing safe, but it's still mm. a heck of a lot quieter than a five five six round. Yeah, you know, without unsuppressed. Now, kind of sticking a little bit more of the with some of the equipment. When you were in the military, what optic did did you, did you have on your on your rifle, or what did they issue you guys at that time? Uh, whenever I got actually about five seven years or so, six years before I retired, was uh, uh we used Trigicon ACOGs. Okay. Uh, they refer to them as the RCO, um, Rifle Combat Optic, which is a Trigicon. ACOG basically designed for the Marine Corps. Were there any were there any special units that basically could just sort of pick whatever they wanted? And yeah, there were some, and and some of those. Um, I've had EOTechs on guns uh, in the military. I've had uh, aim points on some guns, and there's there's an episode I did a long time ago where like aim point versus EOTech or something like that. And I've always really really liked the EOTech a lot. That big window. Uh, the reticle stays uh, basically uh, not center on a bore, but uh, parallax free, you know, up to about 50 meters, maybe even beyond that. And it's just an awesome optic. You just, you, you put red stuff on bad stuff. I've been saying in that one for a while, and yeah. you can't miss it up close. And it's so fast from target to target, which is really, really great. Um, aim points, you've got a little bit of optical center you got to look through. And, but you see all these on different units. Some people love the aim points. People love the uh, EOTech. Where the aim point beats the crap out of the EOTech is the battery life. And it's just phenomenal what EOTechs do. I mean, aim points doing uh, with long, long battery, battle, uh, battery life. So I use a... Uh, more than anything else right now, I use an aim point micro H1 or T1. And Basically, I need to change my battery to be safe every time I vote for a new president. Yeah, and that's incredible. And because I, I've trained, you know, law enforcement officers, and uh, I was up in New England teaching some cops, and three of them got their carbines out of their cars, and they had EOTechs on their guns. And uh, two of those three, and there was a lot. There's like 25 officers out there, but two of these three that had the EOTechs on their guns, their batteries were dead. Yeah. So so I was like, what if you what if you you were pulling up to your kid's school because there was an active shooter in there right now and he was in there killing folks and he was killing your kid. You can't shoot down a hallway. Your battery's dead. You know, yeah. I mean that's that's ridiculous. And that's that's the problem with the EOTech. Um if you're in a position to change that battery often and to make sure your battery's not dead, I think it's an amazing optic, especially paired with a magnifier on a on a pivot mount or something like that. Um uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So my optics that I use and I choose to use now that I'll spend money on are Trigicon, EOTech and Aimpoint. Uh tubular style optics if I'm gonna do something a little bit more like a a one to four or a uh two and a half to ten or something like that, then you know, I'll use right now. I'll use a Leopold uh, Vortex and uh, some U.S. Optics. Okay, yeah, I picked the uh, and kind of for some of the same reasons that you were talking about. I went with the um, Aimpoint Pro. Yeah, uh, and that's that Aimpoint Pro, in my opinion, is the best optic out there for the money. What you pay for that gun comes. That thing comes with a mount and everything else, ready to go. It's uh. You can't beat what you get in that optic for the money you pay for it. Yeah, I think I got it on sale and had like free shipping and you know all this other stuff. I'm always you know looking for bargains and all that kind of jazz. But I think I ended up paying three hundred and if I remember right, between I think about like three hundred and sixty dollars or something. 
that's and, really good. And for that price, it's just it's crazy um, what you get. And like you were saying, like the battery life, they're saying like, oh, you know, stick it in, don't bother to turn it off, just leave it on, and then once every three or four years. And if you if you wanted to be super anal about it, change it every January. Yep. You know, if you wanted to, and then you're guaranteed, you know, well, you're not guaranteed anything, but from what they were saying, you know, like you'll, you'd never would have to worry about the battery at that point. One kind of final thing, and I guess we'll maybe uh, kind of wrap it up because I've monopolized your time here for a while. A lot of times in the training classes, people will show, or, or for, especially maybe for the rifle classes, people are going to show up with a lot of kind of, uh, you know, like the plate carriers or the chest uh, chest harnesses so that they can hold the, ha- the magazines. And I understand why they do that uh, because it's easier for training. You've got them handy. Um, but do you ever have like a, 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 a specific class or part of the class where you say, hey, let's take these things off and let's pretend like you're just at home and all you're going to have is maybe one or two magazines with you? Or is that kind of, eh, it doesn't really matter type thing? No, I don't. I don't have different times. What I talk to them in class about, because th- there'll be somebody out there who, um, who lives on a farm and wants to be better with that gun, uh, just keep it running. He missed a coyote, and that's why he's in class right now. He wants to learn to shoot better. Yeah. Uh, there will be somebody in the class who is a local law enforcement officer, SWAT officer. Or he just has a carbine in his vehicle and he has some body armor in the back to throw over with some stuff on it. Um, and then there's some guys out there who are prepper types who are like, hey, I'm out here in my chest rig. This is what I would probably wear if I were out doing some gardening in a Katrina-type event or a long-term emergency situation. You know. And then there's like, the guy who just wants to go out there and play and have fun and play military. Yeah. And he's wearing like every piece of gear he's got. <laughs> and then you have somebody out there who's like, hey, I don't know what kind of gear I need. I Here's the things that I care about. Uh and I'll t- I tell those folks, don't go spend money. Don't go buy anything. Come out there and reload with magazines in your pockets um, with what you have. And you're going to see what I'm wearing, what other people have, what, what problems come up. And I want you to write down a list of problems you ran into all day. Mm. And then start shopping for products. And I'll help you find these products and solve those problems for you. Um, I leave. I come out there with a plate carrier. Uh, really high-end, awesome stuff. I, I work pretty much exclusively with First Spear now, and I, I love their, their Strand Hog body armor and a lot of their clothing and everything else. It's just awesome company, 100% American-made. I'll plug them there shamelessly because they're, they're good to me and they're, they're great people and I believe in their products. Um, I'll have all my, like a chest rig. It's just a chest rig, no armor, nothing. And I'll have a plate carrier in my car. And then I'll have like a little magazine pouch that I can clip on my belt uh, with one magazine. And then I'll have just my clothes that I'm wearing. And I walk out there and I start seeing the class, what they have and what they're putting on. And based on what's going on in that class, because some classes are all like high-speed guys with a lot of gear. Some classes, yeah. there's none of those guys. So based on what I see in the class, I dress like the class does. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I teach the way to, to the class that I have right there. So it's always a little bit different, you know, with, with each class. But, you know, I, I do talk about context of some things. You know, sometimes people come out into class and they've got their active shooter bag. Like that bag that they would grab that stays next to their bed. Uh, and they would go get it or they stage in their car with a rifle uh, that they just sling it over the shoulder and they reload from that bag. It's got medical in it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Some folks bring that stuff out to class. And I think that's a, a great way to do it. You want to go run that equipment that you have and, and see what kind of problems you have and, and if you need, need to change anything up. So, uh, I, I do try to, my best to put it in context. Like, hey, that body armor right there, something goes bump in the night and you know there's somebody coming down your hallway right now. You're probably not going to get behind your bed with your family and put all your body armor on. Yeah. You, know, you need to learn how to, you need to maybe have some magazines with you or whatever. And, and there's different situations, and I, and I try to put it in context for them. 
sometimes they just want to have fun and wear that stuff. Sometimes uh, they're they're really really interested in in getting better in whatever reality because they all come from different realities and different versions of of reality, you know. And uh, try to give it to them the best that that fits what their lifestyle is the most. I guess you could say. Okay, cool. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, first beer stuff. It's funny. My wife the other oh maybe couple of months ago there was a bunch of stuff kind of going on and we were having some discussions about it and then she was she just kind of out of the blue said you know maybe maybe it wouldn't hurt if you had some body armor and so I was like oh okay well here's what I've been looking at and explained to her that it's kind of expensive but if you know you ever do get it you want to get the best stuff that you can afford uh, and the stuff that's going to give you the 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 best option to survive if you were able, able to you know get it on or something like that uh, you know, if you ever had time or if you're ever in a situation like you were saying, like that Katrina situation, um, that I think I, I kind of go back to that a lot as to, you know, people say, oh, bad things, you know, on a, on a big scale can't really happen here in America. But then you see, you know, you see things like that um, yeah. where the where the police, they're overwhelmed, where emergency services, they're overwhelmed and they're not coming for you. Uh, or you right. look at things like. uh like all the, the, the things that happened in Ferguson. What if that uh, happened on a nationwide scale, which we weren't far from that happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, then, you know, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do at that point? You know, at that point, or is it going to be a thing of, man, I always thought about that and wished I'd bought it, but I never did. And now I, I, you know, I'd like to have it and I don't. Well, even if you had it right before then, Tony, if you had it like right before it happened, the, this, the minute it happened, oh, here's your first beer, chest rig and body armor and plates and everything and armor, and everything else. You're gonna suck with it. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. You haven't you haven't exposed your body to what it's like wearing armor for ten and twelve hours a day. You know, and those things like that. So we don't only do. It's not we get all we preppers and you know and you sound like you are and and I'm not afraid to admit that I am. Um, people get so soaked up into this what tangible items say look i'm gonna post on the forum this is what i got in my bug out bag hey i got four band-aids and i got a, a whole kit that i i got a a filled surgeon kit i have no idea how to do surgery on anybody i can barely <laughs> get a splinter out of my hand but i you know what i've got a check in the box filled surgeon kit i'm good you know and like that kind of ridiculousness it's out there all over the place there's nothing more important than training and people you can't count it but you know i, I tell people like like medical for example um you can have a great medical kit. If you don't know how to use it, you can hurt somebody. You might get fumble your way through saving a life. It's possible. Um, but if you have training, you still may have the absence of a medical kit. But in the presence of training there, the whole world becomes your medical kit. Okay, there's that. I can make that be a chest seal. Oh, that right there, that's complete tourniquet right there. Yeah. Hey, that can easily be a pressure dressing. You know, it's you can see those things in all over the place because you have a little bit of training, and it doesn't take a lot. Uh, it, the training just changes everything, and uh, it's just not something you can put a picture of on the forum. So nobody really cares about it. Sometimes it's funny. Yeah, and with that stuff, you know, kind of getting back to the kind of the gear and the equipment. A lot of times, and and I I at times have fallen into it as well. But a lot of times you think, well, man, if I could just get the latest you know, gizmo or this or that, that's what I really need. And, and, uh, a lot of times I think you sort of need to, people need to step back and just say, okay, this is what I have, or this is the situations that, that, uh, I think are, uh, number one, is it even possible? And if it is possible, how probable? And if I think it's probable enough, uh, you know, should I, should I get this, that, and the other thing? And then like you were saying, the training with it is the most important, the most important part. Um, and with the prepper stuff, 
you know, we try and keep some extra food around. We try and, and especially out here where we live, I live out in Arizona in the Phoenix area. If there was ever a big uh, kind of nationwide disaster or um, an event where just services and supplies can't get into the town, you know, what are we going to do? Because out here, the main thing for us is water. You know, we're out mm. in the desert. Um, yep. And so, you know, maybe for somebody who lives in Oklahoma or Kansas or uh, someplace where there's water is plentiful, you know, they wouldn't need necessarily to store up a ton of, of, of drinking water. But I've got uh, three of those um, 55-gallon drums that are filled with water. And once a year, even though I don't need to, but once a year, I take them, I clean them out, and I refill them. And then I'm good to go for a year. And that's basically, we've got one drum uh, per person. There's me, my wife, and my daughter. Um, and then, of course, I've, we've, we've also got the the water heater that holds like 50 gallons. So, I mean, uh, you know, we, we think about that. We also think about stuff like, well, if we have to leave, which horrifies me, but, you know, we've, we've got contingencies and plans for where we would go, how we would get there if we're separated, when something happens, you know, what are we going to do, that type of stuff. So... Yep. You know, in every one of these situations, in every single time it happens in the U.S., and it happens in other countries too, we see the same thing happen. There's it's a thin layer of politeness in the U.S. that's peeled back. Um, it's, just, it's very thin. And a Tropical Storm Sandy hit the Northeast, and the very yeah. next day they're all thirsty, and they're all hungry, and they're rioting. The police have to come out and fight these violent people off because they were mad because they weren't getting – because the medical – services were getting gasoline before they were yeah and that's the very next day that's incredible that you were that ill-prepared that the next day you and your family are thirsty and hungry that's just a horrible lifestyle to live that's just yeah. asking for uh danger and even the, the some of the best people out there when they're seeing their uh wife and children hungry and thirsty and on the verge of death a man's going to do some pretty crazy things to make sure his wife and kids don't die uh, and a woman would do the same thing. And oh, yeah. that's why we see a lot of violence happen in these situations. Um, so being able to fight and be able to prepare yourself, you know, for those violent encounters, if that were to happen, is definitely key, you know. But water, food, shelter, um, and defense, you know, you you got to be able to have those things. And, you know, I've, I've, I've talked with other people about it who, you know, they kind of poo-poo the ideas of this, that, and the other thing. But then I... I always kind of, one of the examples I use, I think, well, what if everybody in the country just had 30 days worth of food stored up? And then when you have something like a Hurricane Katrina or you have something like a Sandy or you have something that happened, oh, was it, I think it was in Kansas, as a matter of fact, where a tornado came and I think it was like, I can't remember the name of the town, but it basically wiped this town off the face of the map. Oh, a couple of years ago in uh, in Oklahoma, right next to, like, uh I forget the name of the little town, but they, yeah, just destroyed the entire yeah. town. And then, but if everybody had that, you know, you could easily say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a week's worth of my food and I'm going to, you know, box it up in this thing, take it down to the Red Cross and everybody could send it. You know, you would have, you would have so much food that would be coming in and, and supplies that would be coming into those areas that, you know, people wouldn't necessarily have to rely on, you know, quote unquote, the government to come help them out or FEMA to come help them out. Uh, and what a lot of people don't realize, in days they're overwhelmed, and all the supplies that they've got are gone. Uh, you know, from the government standpoint. Yep. Uh, and and if you don't have something, 
even, you know, 30 days, I think is for me, for us is kind of like the minimum. And we've actually got, you know, more of certain things. And we, we do that, uh, store what you eat, eat what you store type thing. And I, you know, and I try and talk to my neighbors about it, but eh, they're not, I can tell they're not really on board. Um, but they're going to be on board whenever something bad were to happen. They'll be instantly on board, instant, instant yeah. converts. Yeah. So I, I've been living, my wife and I and son Gunner, we've been living in a, a travel trailer trailer here. We decided to finally do it. We've been talking about it forever. We've been living in a travel trailer for since August. And uh, I have learned so many things. I thought I was already knew a lot of stuff. I thought I already had a lot of things figured out in case something bad were to happen and we were to activate a plan or something and go somewhere else kind of thing. But, man, I have learned so much living in this thing. Um, I we had we had a problem with our breaker one day, and it was in the summer, in the August still. Excuse me, and um, we didn't have power for about a day and a half. Ugh. So I tell, and we still had running water, and we still had a shower that we could walk over to, walk over to our shower and take a shower if we wanted to. Those we had those things, but I if someone really thinks that they they're ready and they're really dedicated to, to prepping and they're really trying to make sure that they've got some things figured out. I challenge you in the wintertime or the summertime, or maybe once in both if you if you have the if you the wife that would allow you to do that or the husband that would allow you to do that, um, turn your power off for two days. It's gonna be an incredible learning experience, man. It really is. Yeah, I mean, or you know, a lot of times I like to go camping and stuff like that, but go on you know, another way you could do it is you could also go on kind of a long term camping trip because a lot of people think they're going to bug out to the woods or do that but and when you go for just a you know a day or maybe two it's not that big a deal because you know you can kind of schlep most of the stuff with you but you know if you go for it once you sort of hit past three days four days things start changing because you know you haven't had a shower for three or four days you haven't you know everything that you've had to prepare You've basically just been kind of sitting on a ground or sitting on a tree stump and you, and it's hard to wash things. It's hard to keep things clean. It's hard to keep your hands clean. It's hard. And what a lot of people don't, every time I go, go camping, I always get little cuts and scrapes. It's just, it's uh-huh. kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, and out there, if you get a bad enough one, if it was in a, you know, a really bad situation, you're screwed. Uh, you could die with a lack yeah. of antibiotics. Yeah. Or, yeah. So... All right. Well, I tell you what, I, like I said, I think I've, uh, I was going to let you go about 10 minutes ago and then I kept jibber jabbing with you, uh, but I right. wanted to thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And, uh, you've always got an open invitation anytime you want to come on or, or come back. Uh, is there you anything let me you know anytime there's anything you want to talk about or you think that I would have good input on, I'd be more than happy to come back on. Oh, okay, great. Oh, one quick question. As far as, uh, the, the best way for people to look at the training, is that for them to go over to Thunderbird Tactical or is it to go to that? I think you said something like Thunderbird. It's to say, it's, yeah, our website is thunderbirdguns.com. Okay. Go on there. You can click training and you can see a lot of things we're offering. Not everything that we offer is on that, but you'll see, go to the calendar and you can see what the dates are out. I don't have the entire 2015 calendar done. I've got most things done out to about February and a little bit into March and some things sporadic throughout the year, but uh, it's not complete. There's a lot of little things that we're working on that are contingent on the doors opening in May and stuff, so uh, probably won't have the full calendar out, probably till around April or some time frame, but... Okay. Um, but most all the stuff where we're traveling will be up there here within the next, right after SHOT Show sometime. Okay, cool. 
Um, and I, like I said, I've looked over at some of them. I would love to be able to, and I talked about this on my last show. I'm, I'd like to be able to come out there to you guys. I have family that lives down in Oklahoma. So what I might be able to do would be to come out there, visit with them for a little bit. And then they live in Tulsa and then basically drive up, uh, and well, do some I training have an invitation with you. to all podcasters, uh, and some bloggers. I mean, I, I, I say that because if you've got like five people who read your blog, then I'm not going to do this for you. I mean, we need to get something <laughs> out of it as well because everything, but, um, the if, Tony, if you want to come out here and take a class, um, we'll comp you the course fee and all that stuff. You know, we do this for for media folks and everything else. Comp you the course fee, and we'll put you up in a hotel for the night. Ooh, that's and, pretty uh, good. And all we ask is you come give a, a fair and honest review. Um, you know, after the course, and tell people about it. Well, I I'm going to be taking you up on that then for sure. But yeah, I'd love to do the uh, well. I'd like to do all of them. Um, to tell you the truth. I'd like to do the uh, the handgun stuff. I'd like to do the carbine stuff. I'd like to do the Kalashnikov stuff. I have an I have an AK. I'd like to do the oh, shotgun cool. stuff. Uh, so pretty much any, you know, anything. Uh, and so that's kind of one of my goals for for this year is to maybe to get out there uh, and take a couple of courses and stuff with you. So that's good. And bring your wife with you. I'd love to have her come out here. And I'd, I'd I'm not saying I've got some kind of magic or anything, but I think women are very easy to, to win over. Yeah. Um, and they're usually scared to death. Not all of them, but some of them are just scared to death. But then, but I find that they want to know why this gun does what it does. Even when they go shoot, people are always filling magazines for them, loading the gun for them, saying, here's the gun, now shoot it. And once you make them do all those things and you take it apart and you show them how it works, you show the three safeties in a Glock and how it's safe and everything else, they're like, oh. I see how it works. That's not complicated. You don't have to have like some Superman degree to understand that. You know, it's really, really easy. Yeah. Uh, and then they realize like I can do this and I can do it good, and that was fun. And uh, then it's convincing them to start carrying that gun. Yeah. The the very because first thing she often requires a lifestyle change. Yeah. The very first thing she ever did was uh it was uh oh what was that thing what was the thing called women and guns or something like that. And it was just, it was just a woman's course and, um, they taught her how to do it and she, and they had the guns and everything there. And so I remember after that course, we were driving back home from it. Uh, and it was a a woman's only course. So I just sat in the back. I sat in the, when they were at the range, I sat off to the, to the side. And when they were doing the classes, I just kind of hung out in the back and didn't, you know, didn't really participate or do anything like that. But as we were coming back, I could, I could tell that something clicked with her. Because she was like, hmm, you know, I probably need to 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 start shooting a little bit more. And then some time went by, uh, but she had kind of gotten over that initial hump of that fear. Uh, and then she, I had her, uh, like I had mentioned earlier, I had her take a, uh, she's taken it a couple of times with a lady when it's just like a one-on-one private thing that they do. And early on, she was like, oh, I just can't work the slide on the Glock. I don't, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But of course, it was all technique, uh-huh. and by having the having the um, the instructor go over that stuff with her, it really took away kind of a lot of that mystery of it. Now she, I don't think she's ever going to be a person uh, who is going to love guns or or love all this stuff. It may change later down the road. I don't know, uh, but at least she has gotten to where she is a lot more comfortable, and I think she's gotten the confidence of knowing you know, I can do this stuff. And one of the things I'm trying to, to get us going in and, uh, as a family is the steel challenge, you know, where you've got like the, I think it's, um, 
five targets and one of the end one is your stop target. Yeah. And so there's a couple of clubs out here in my area and uh, I'm going to go try to check them out. And uh, of course they just use 22. And so what we're going to do is maybe try and go through and, and do some of that stuff. Um, and again, just to, to where we have, where we're doing something with the guns and we're doing something to where it's going to keep up familiarity. Um, I, I think logic tells me that the more trigger time you got, the better you can do it. And then if you've got that little bit of, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not false stress, but, uh, what's the term you guys use? Um, uh, inoculation. Yeah. Like, like stress inoculation okay. with competition because you're under pressure and you want to do good. So it does give yeah. you, it does give you something to where you're, you know, maybe you get a little bit of the shakes or, you know, your heart races a little bit, which can simulate yeah, you know, some of the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you said something really important in there that I, I, that I tell people a lot about, um, you said you don't think she'll ever like love guns or anything. And, you know, I I don't think she ever needs to, and uh, yeah. I think a lot of folks out there carrying guns that don't really love guns. And me, I I don't, because some people try to tell me, dude, you're just another one of those gun nuts. I'm like, I I'm really not. I I I don't care if if guns are are fun. I like shooting. I like training. My favorite thing about guns is like, hey, here's a new gun. Oh, how does this thing work? Let me figure this thing out. How yeah. would I do this? How would I do that with a gun? That's like fun stuff for me. But what I like is uh. I'm more of a instead of a, a gun nut, I'm a training nut, you know. And it could be medical, it could be anything else. And I want to learn stuff. I want to be better at things. And uh, the reason I don't really love guns, but I do love my family that those guns could be used to protect. And I do love liberty that yeah. those guns are here and I'm allowed to have them. I'm not saying allowed to have them because the government allows me to have them. I'm saying you know the Second Amendment of the United States confirms that or reconfirms that it's my right to have that gun to protect those people that I love and that's what I love it's not the gun itself that object I could care less if we didn't have guns and they went away I would start training with swords yeah you know, and that's what not that I love swords but I want to be the best swordsman there is you know and, and that's what it's about all right well I tell you, this time for sure I think we're gonna right, go ahead we're, we're really done seriously. <laughs> we're really done this time all right Daniel well thanks for uh, being on the show and uh, everybody else, if you guys ever are in the Kansas area or you're around there and you can drive in, uh, especially if you're down like in Oklahoma, some of those places, it's a quick, easy drive to get up there. Take some courses with Daniel. I think it will be well worth your time. Yeah, I would love to have you. And if you want to learn more about me or hear more about me, um, I got a YouTube channel. Uh, you could Google Daniel Shaw guns or something on uh, YouTube. You'll find it. Um, Funker Tactical, check them out. Uh, obviously, we already said ThunderbirdGuns.com. Check out the schedule. I'd love to see you guys in a class. And if you want to listen to some old episodes of Gunfighter Cast, new stuff doesn't come out very often, but it will sometime uh, at www.GunfighterCast.com. All right, cool beans. Thanks, man. You bet. All right, guys, let's go ahead and draw the show to a close. Again, Daniel, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I uh, enjoyed the conversation that we had, and I know that the uh, listeners are going to enjoy it as well. I will have links to some of the stuff that we talked about, and you can find that over at the website, which is the Armed Ape. Oh, good heavens! Which is FlyArmsCafe.com. There we go. Um, got the other show on my brain here a little bit, but anyway, uh, that's again FlyArmsCafe.com, and I will have the links to uh, what we talked about on the show today, and that is going to be show number one twenty-four. 
So let's see. There are a ton of other good podcasts out there that you can listen to. Uh, name a bunch of them kind of off the top of my head. There is um, Pro Arms. There's, of course, Daniel's show, which is Gunfighter Cast. There is the Road Gunner podcast, Modern Rifleman Radio, Slam Fire, uh, New Shooter Canada, Arm Squirrels Project, The Gun Nation. Oh, think, think, think. Who am I leaving out? Who am I leaving out? Um, well, I can't think. But anyway, there are tons and tons. So there's tons of choices. So I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And I think that's it. Um, do I have anything else I, w- I wanted to talk about or remind you guys? Oh, I did one last thing. I did want to remind you guys that I will be doing, I'm still signed up for the apple seed, which is out here in the Phoenix area. And that's going to be, I think, at the at the Buckeye range. You can go over to the Appleseed website, which is appleseed.org, and, and look for the scheduling out there. But if anybody is out in the uh, Phoenix area, I will be doing that on uh, April the 18th and 19th. Uh, so drop me a line if you'd like to do that. It's only $60, and I think it'll be a fun experience. All right, my friends, that is it. I will talk to you guys next time.